Well, uh, for a lot of you, I know this is not a new uh, topic, and the Ten Commandments are a familiar passage. Uh, for some, maybe it's not. But the Fifth Commandment, uh, just to, by way of opening in, in general, uh, is the first of the commandments of what is known sometimes as uh, we call it the, the second table or second tablet, so-called, of God's law. And that is, uh, it's not split in half, like I know we'd all probably like her to be five and one and a half and five of the other. But the first four commandments uh, deal with our love for God, and the last six commandments of the ten deal with our love for neighbor. So this is the first of the ten uh, of the second table, so-called, that deals with our love for neighbor. Uh, Thomas Watson, my favorite Puritan, puts it this way. He says, by the first table, commandments one through four, by the first table we walk religiously toward God. By the second, we walk religiously toward man. And then he adds, he cannot be good in the first table that is bad in the second. In other words, we can't pick and choose. We can't say, well, you know, I love God. I have my warm fuzzies about God, but I don't like people. So... You know, I'm not going to worry about the last six commandments, you know. Sometimes we kind of feel like we can do that. We can separate, you know, love for God from love for our neighbor. And Watson, I think, rightly says uh, you can't. You can't You can't really be good in the first table and not in the second. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. The commandments of God are, are such that they are, as you may already have known, uh, they are interrelated in many ways. They're, they're connected in so many different ways that it would be hard to, to note all of them. Uh, they are distinct, but they are not separate. You cannot take one and leave. You can't pick and choose and still have uh, things going right. That's why Jesus said, uh, remember when Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment or what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? He basically said both, didn't he? Uh, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40, it says this. Uh, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So the writer is even telling us, Matthew's telling us the motive for for the question uh, to test him. And this is what he said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And what's the greatest commandment? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So according to Jesus himself, you can't pick and choose. And, and really, the, when he asks what the greatest commandment is, you could say he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. But he attaches them so closely together, it's as if he's saying there's really two. And those two are a summary of all the commands. Really, all the commands in the Bible hinge on those two things. Every command, whether we understand how or, or why or whatever, every commandment in some way is expressing love for God and or, or probably both love for our neighbors. That's, that's the, the, the point of the law. And so, you know, this isn't the topic of the sermon, but in another way, that's another reason why we shouldn't have any expectation that God's moral law should be abrogated or done away with with the coming of the gospel because it's always been about love for neighbor. Love has always been the fulfillment of the law. That is not a New Testament thing alone. That's always the way God's law has been intended. What is what is what does God say about uh, the Sabbath, right? Or or um, I'm sorry about about idolatry, right? He says, "I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers." 
on, on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who do what? Love me and keep my commandments. Those t- love for God and keeping his commandments go together. There's no uh, separation there. In fact, if you're not keeping God's commandments, you may say you love God, but what would God say? He would say you hate him according to his, to his word. Uh, so love for God and love for neighbor always must go together. Likewise, we've been going through 1 John in our sermons on other Sundays, uh, non-communion Sundays. 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 to 21 says this very plainly, doesn't it? It says, if anyone says, that's a phrase you'll read in 1 John a lot. People claim something, and then John's like, well, they can claim this, but if this is true, then they're lying. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Like, John, you know, tell us how you really feel, John. Like, liar. Like, they can, they can say it all they want. He is, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So you can't separate. You can distinguish the two, but you can't separate them. If you don't love your brother in Christ, you don't love God. And you can't love your brother or your neighbor properly if you don't love God. There's no separating them. So the second table of the law starting with this fifth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 12, teaches us that our faith in Christ and our profession of Christianity must involve all of life. That is the, the underlying message of the, sixth, of the fifth through tenth commandment, that, that our faith must involve and affect all of our lives. Every aspect of your life must be affected by your faith. Thomas Boston, another Puritan writer, says the following. He says, Religion, and you know, we sometimes use that word, hear that word, and we go, oh, no, it's a bad thing. No, he's not. He just means being you know, Christianity, right? Religion must run through the whole course of our conversation, and that word means your life. Conversation doesn't just talk like we use it. Uh, religion must run through the whole course of our conversation and mix itself with all our actions, those that respect or have to do with men, our neighbor, as well as those that respect God immediately. Therefore, in vain, in vain do they pretend to religion that make no conscience of their duty to men. So that, that's really what the commandments tell us, that your faith, your Christian religion and, and profession of it, has to affect everything, and certainly has to affect people, your neighbors, your, your family, friends, and others. Uh, and in vain do we pretend to religion if we make no conscience of our duty toward, toward other people. And so I'll ask this morning, does your faith in Jesus Christ, does your faith run through, as he puts it, the whole course of your life? Does it affect every other aspect of, of your life? Um, does it mix itself with all of your actions? Or, or are you trying to kind of compartmentalize your faith and keep it sort of safely insulated away from all the actual stuff that matters. You know, your daily life, your family, your work, your, dare I say, your politics, everything else, it should affect everything. There is no, you know, kind of hyper, there shouldn't be any kind of hyper pietistic, you know, Christianity where all it is is about your inner emotional experiences and those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with emotions, nothing wrong with inner experiences, but sometimes I think we get the impression at times that, that people think that's all Christianity is. 
It's just your inner emotional things, and it doesn't affect how you live. Uh, and that's not what the Bible in any way teaches. Uh, let the fifth commandment teach us even this. Not only should it run through the course of our lives, but it also teaches us that even from our youngest days, even from childhood, our faith in life must intersect at all points so that our relationship to God through faith in Christ changes everything. I think it's significant, and we, we sometimes, I think, look past it or overlook it unintentionally, that the fifth commandment, while it does apply to us grown-ups in the room, the, on the surface of the text, who is it aimed at? Children. Children. I, I, I would make a case for infant baptism just based on that. They're included in the church. They're included among God's people. They're not to be treated as little heathen. Like, the Bible doesn't say, well, okay, okay kids, leave, you know, go over there. This isn't for you. I mean, the scripture says right there, honor your father and your mother. And you imagine all the good uh, Hebrew parents elbowing their kids when the uh, person was reading the text, right? Ah, this one's for you, but it was for them. And it doesn't stop being for them, you know? Like, uh, you know, we always say you never stop being a parent kind of thing. Well, in some ways, you never stop being a kid either. This still applies to us even as we get uh, older and things like that. So this morning for our sermon points, we're going to simply, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to follow the outline provided for us by the uh, Shorter Catechism. And that is, first, what are the duties required in the Fifth Commandment? What would God have us to do? Uh, secondly, what are the sins forbidden in the Second Commandment? And then lastly, but not least, what is the promise of blessing attached to obeying this commandment? That's really, what the, that's really a good breakdown of what the text is. And so first, thing first, uh, first things first, what are the duties that God requires of us by the fifth commandment? On the surface, it is the honoring uh, and even obeying of our parents. And I think it's instructive for us that when the Lord begins to turn our attention to our love for neighbor, which is what the second table is about, the place he starts is our love for our parents. Like, and I, I've said this before, so I won't bore you with it more, but um, you know, I, I say things like this a lot. If you and I were writing the Bible, you know, if we were going to sit down and write the Bible, and we all, you know, let's, we had a big committee meeting and said, okay, how are we going to divide these? God gave us these ten commandments. How are we going to order them? Um, and he wants us to put stuff for him first and love for our neighbor last. What would the first one of the second table be if we were to order them? I'm guessing we would put murder first. Like, because we think of things in, in terms of like worst to not so bad. That's not the order, right? Uh, God doesn't say don't, no, don't murder. Don't murder is pretty high on the list, right? It's, it's in the top ten, so to speak. But the first one when it comes to our neighbor is our parents. Is honor your father and your mother, both, both of those uh, things. And why, why is that? There could be a lot of things, and we can't mind read the Lord. We can just kind of imply what's uh, written here in, 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 uh, or what's implied by it. But your parents, your father and mother, are typically, literally, your first neighbor. The first people you ever come in contact with. They brought you into this world uh, kind of thing. Uh, and so they are also the first ones to whom we owe love. And what should that love look like, kids? Among all the things you could do, honor your father and your mother is the first thing that you should. It's, it's the main thing that we are to uh, strive to, to do. And perhaps maybe even more, more importantly, when it comes to this commandment, 
our father and our mother are typically, I shouldn't even say typically, uh, they are literally the first authority figures that God puts over us. Whoever, whether, you know, whether it be some other family member that has to take care of you or whatnot, whoever is acting as your parents, whether it be grandparents or your actual parents or adoptive parents, whoever it is, they are the first authority that God has placed over us. They are the training ground for the rest of our submission to other authorities that God has placed over us. John Calvin summarizes the intent of this commandment as this, that we must revere those whom the Lord has set over us, and show them honor and obedience, acknowledging the good they have done uh, to us. And so we first learn or fail to learn to honor those and obey those who are in authority over us in the arena of the home or the family. I, I won't belabor the point, but I, I dare say if you look around these days and look at the news and look at some of the videos you see from all over the place, um, many people are failing to learn to honor authority that God has placed over them uh, because they're failing to learn it in the home. And in many cases, you know, even the ones that have both parents aren't being disciplined, but many of them uh, don't even have fathers. You, know, you could probably trace most of the problems in our country, at least humanly speaking. The main thing is there's no fear of God. But humanly speaking, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's the absence of fathers. There's no fathers or very few. So if you have an intact family and you have your uh, your father and your mother that have been there to help you. Thank God for that. That is a blessing that many in this land do not do not enjoy, and they are reaping the the uh, results of that in many ways in our country. Now, notice that it's honor. The word is that's used here in our text is honor. Not it could just say obey your parents. Now that's included, right? You you can't honor your parent. Well, I'm honoring you. I'm just not doing what you say. You can't honor your parent without obeying them, uh, right? Uh, but the word that's used is honor and not just outward obedience. It's honor that we are to render to those whom the Lord has set over us, to our, our fathers and mothers. And if as children, if as children we fail to learn to honor and submit to authority in the home, I don't think it's a stretch to say that chances are we will struggle mightily to learn to submit after that to the other authorities that God places over us in our lives. Uh, one of my I shouldn't say my favorite quote because it doesn't sound very pleasant, but one of the most memorable quotes I can think of from Thomas Watson is on this commandment, and it may sound kind of shocking to hear it, but he says, nothing sooner shortens life than disobedience to parents. Nothing sooner shortens life than disobedience to parents. Now, he's not saying, like we sometimes, I hope, kiddingly say, you know, what's the old saying? I brought you into this world and I'll take you out of it. You know, I don't think that's what he is in mind here. I think he just means when, when you don't learn to honor and obey your parents, it sets you up for a rough life. You are going to have a very hard time when you get out in the real world where the people that have authority over you don't love you quite as much as the parents who brought you into this world. And they're just telling you what to do because they have the power to do so. So if you can't, if you can't honor and submit to those who love you, and in most cases, do everything they can to further your life in, 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 in good ways, you're never going to submit to those who just have bare authority over you, even if it's God-given. Um, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul actually quotes the fifth commandment. He quotes it, he interprets it, and even applies it to believers today. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
And what does he do? He quotes it. Honor your father and mother. And then he says, this is the first commandment with a promise, quote, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So notice Notice that Paul here in this text, I think it's a very important text for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is Paul is telling us, in case we weren't sure, the Ten Commandments still apply. When he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, how does he establish for us that it's right? He quotes verbatim the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother. So it still, it still applies. And one of the primary applications of the fifth commandment is that children are to, uh, as Paul says it there, obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, that's the application he draws from the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. What does it mean? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And why? Why should they obey? Because this is right. And how do we know it's right for children to obey their parents in the Lord? Because God said so in the fifth commandment. That's really all, it's very simple logic that Paul is, is giving. And again, once again, think about this. Uh, in, in, in the early church, when Paul and other apostles wrote these epistles, these letters to the churches, the, the common practice was, kind of like what we do, but maybe a little bit different, they would receive, let's say, the, book of the, the letter to the church at Ephesus, the, the book of Ephesians, as we call it. The church would receive this letter. They would read it to the church in, in their worship. Now, maybe they would do something like what we do and kind of go through it bit by bit and explain it and all that. But at bare minimum, they would read it to the church and explain it uh, to the church. And what, when Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, what does that imply? I almost doesn't really imply it. What does that tell us about the makeup of the congregation? Who was sitting in the congregation with their parents? That doesn't mean every single possible case, you know. But the general expectation was that, the, that all ages would be there within reason. You know, the children weren't, in other words, the children weren't out there. They weren't excluded from the worship of the church. Again, we don't treat our kids like little heathens. It is not the Christian position. Uh, Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Um, anyway. Uh, this teaches us that following the Lord also is not just something for grown-ups. It's not just something for later when you get older, maybe when you, you know, graduate high school or whatnot. Uh, it starts very early on in life, even in childhood. And a big part of being a child, a big part of a child following Christ involves honoring father and mother. Uh, so I'll ask kids, I know some of them have slipped out, but kids... Are you, are you respectful to your parents and your grandparents, people that are, that are over you? Do, you? do you respect them? Do you honor them? Do you, do you obey their instruction? Are you obey, what does Paul say? Are you obeying them in the Lord? And that's a mouthful, right? It's not just doing what they say. It's thinking, hey, why am I to do this? God has put them over me. I'm obeying them. And obeying Christ involves obeying in some ways uh, your parents. That, that's God's will for your life. If the Ten Commandments is a summary of God's moral will, his will for your life, then as a kid, one of the biggest ones is honoring father and mother. That is the way as a kid, as a child, to live out your faith from your youngest days. So I think it's important for, for kids, when you read the commandments, it's like, hey, that, that one shows me these are for me. This isn't just for my parents. It's not just for the older 
believers. Now, the commandment to honor father and mother applies to much more than just our family relationships, even as it does apply to that. This commandment is most commonly understood or interpreted as dealing with all earthly relationships and authority structures in general. So there is a very broad application, uh, and there is more and more application the older you get, I guess, in some ways. And the Shorter Catechism uh, likewise says that what is required of us in the Fifth Commandment is this, question 64. It's the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their various places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Now, that language, I know some in in these uh, modern days take offense to those words because they misunderstand what's being said. Uh, When it says superiors and inferiors, we think of, well, we're all equal in Christ. What are they possibly saying? There's nobody that's more important than someone else. That's not what, what the writers, the Westminster Divines, were saying. When they talk about superiors, inferiors, and equals, he's talking about your place. You know, just as when you have a job or whatnot, you know, usually you have a boss or a list of bosses that they are your, they are better than you necessarily, but they are your superiors in, in place of rank and whatnot. And frankly, there are people that have risen to those parts, you know, those positions of authority because their giftings, and this might be hard to hear for some of us, their giftings may actually be from God superior to our own. You know, sometimes God raises them up because he's raised them up. And we have to respect that, too. It's, you know, I, I won't steal Rob's sermon, but uh, his sermon title next week is from a different passage. But it's, who hath made thee to differ? In other words, who made you the way you are and made you different than someone else? You know, I don't get to, to you know, when I pray, I don't get to complain to God. At least I shouldn't. Hey, God, how come you didn't make me able to do the things LeBron James does? Why can't I, you know, dunk a basketball and fly through the air like I'm, you know, the man of steel and things and do all these crazy things? How come I'm not smarter? You know, I, I look at people that have, that are, you know, they, they have much better recall of what they're reading and things, and I go, oh, I wish I was smarter. Well, no, who made Dina differ? Who made you, gave you the gifts that you have and requires of you that you make the best of them? And some of us aren't even doing that, but, but that's what God does. God has made us to differ in the way that he has chosen uh, to, to do so. And that involves not only our gifts, but also our positions in life, whether we are the superior in in position or inferior or equal, whatever the case may be. So if, uh, yeah, what are those various places and relations, you might ask? Like what kind of various parts of life are involved here? Uh, Family, church, state, to name a few. Uh, The larger catechism, question 124, says this. Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment. In other words, what kinds of things fall into those categories, right? By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, you know, respect your elders, in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. Those are the kind of the basic three uh, things. And so this commandment continues to have a great deal of application for us in a number of ways all through our earthly lives. For example, employees must learn to honor and obey their employers and their supervisors. That's the will of God for you if you are working uh, and employed by someone to do your job well and to show a proper respect to your employer and supervisors. If you're a Christian, 
Uh, if you're a Christian this morning, has it ever occurred to you that you are to serve God in how you do your job? Like, I know we think, well, my job's secular. My job, I'm, you know, digging ditches or whatever. Whatever your job happens to be, you know, building skyscrapers, digging ditches, drawing plans, you know, whatever the case may be, that's, that's not church stuff. That's, that's just, uh, you know, that's secular, secular stuff. But does, is that how God sees it? No, in fact, you know, I won't go into this too much, but you think about one of the things that came out of the Reformation was a reaffirmation of the idea of calling, of, of God's calling uh, on your life in, in many different ways. Uh, and your employment is part, part of that. Um, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, the Apostle Paul says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. There's, there's no such thing as a secular, so-called, place. Like that, that is something God has called you to do, as long as it's a lawful, lawful calling. So, in other words, God cares about your work, whatever that may be. God cares about how you do your job. And how you do your work, whatever that work may be, is to be a reflection of your love for the Lord. And so if we are to work as if we work for the Lord, uh, and why is that? Because we are. Like, in a sense, you really are working for the Lord. He's not signing your paycheck, right? But you are working for the Lord. It's, him, it's his eye that we are to be aware of, even as we looked at the, at the, uh, in the men's breakfast yesterday and talked about the fear of the Lord. Part of the fear of the Lord is acknowledging God is watching over us. Uh, to chastise and to bless. Even if your employer isn't blessing you, God in many ways, or, or whoever is over you, God does, and he's faithful to do just that. The flip side is also true. If you're the, on the other end, if you're the employer, or the, if you're the supervisor or manager, part of you doing your job well involves showing proper care and respect to those under you that God has put under you, as well as your subordinates. Colossians 4.1, Paul says, Masters, Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And that's probably better translated, I hate to say it, slaves. Like it's that, it should make you, it should get your attention. You know, and, and we won't go into that too much. But Paul's saying, uh, even to the masters, to treat them justly and fairly. And why? Because you have a master too, who watches over everything that you do. In other words, God is everyone's boss. He's everybody's Lord, uh, and the gospel should transform our, at least our part in the workplace as believers. Another area of application is uh, this commandment is our relationship to the governing authorities. Romans 13.1, heard a lot about this passage during the lockdowns. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those, who exist, those that exist have been instituted by God. So no earthly government or authority figure uh, is there except for God's decree. It doesn't mean they're always right. It doesn't mean they shouldn't sometimes be opposed. It doesn't even mean sometimes they shouldn't be deposed from office if, if need be. But uh, we are to be in submission to them uh, in most things. And um, it doesn't mean if they're not perfect that we can disregard their authority. There's no verse in the Bible in any context like that. You know, we, we can think about the home. Uh, another unpopular uh, text sometimes, Ephesians 5, you know, wives submit to your husbands as in the Lord, you know, kind of thing and all that. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It doesn't say 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. If you think they measure up to the standard, you know, if they're doing their half of the whatever, and it doesn't say wives submit to your husbands, if you think they're smarter than you, and if you think what they're doing is a right idea, it, it doesn't qualify it that way, right? And, and the same goes for, for submission to authority in, in government and those kinds of things. Um, it, it does not mean that we have the authority to throw off all civility and respect and submission to them in most things. There, is all, there are always exceptions, as in all things, but in, in general, we should be showing respect uh, for those in authority over us. And why is that? Paul says, because there is no authority except from God. Always keeping God in mind. Um, ultimately, God put them there, and God will keep them and hold them to account for how they govern, which should be a comfort to us. God is not going to just let everything slide. God himself will judge what they do in their, in their office. Um, and that's probably why 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes to Timothy about the church, and he says that we are to pray for those in, in high authority, right? He says that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings should be made for all people. And then he says, for kings and all who are in high positions, we, we might oppose them, we not, might not like them, we might see them as wicked and ungodly, but one of the things we should be doing for them is praying for them. Now, this does not mean, and this will be a whole different sermon, so I won't go into this too much either. I'm opening lots of cans of worms this morning and just chucking them all over the floor for you to slip on. But um, the, it doesn't mean there's no limit to the submission honor you show them, right? There are limits. Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles told the high priest and the council it says, we must obey God rather than men, right? There are instances where uh, if the governing authority or whoever is over you, if they require you to do what God forbids, or if they forbid you to do what God requires, who are you and I to obey? God. No ifs, ands, or buts. Now, I will say this. Sometimes I think we try to stretch that definition further than it really should be. You know, well, well, I can sort of justify this disobedience this way. Um, if they say to do what God forbids or, or, or forbid what God commands, you disobey. And I think that's one of the reasons many churches during the lockdowns kept their doors open. God commands us to gather. Uh, when, you know, there's always a time when it's not safe, but I think the idea of just closing the church's doors ad infinitum uh, was ne- should never have been on the table, and no one should have. Uh, been okay uh, with that. We should obey God rather than men when it comes to things uh, such as that. And so the second thing, uh, what that brings us to here is the sins forbidden by the fifth commandment. And what are they? Essentially, this would be implicitly include anything and everything that is contrary to the duties required. So if honoring father and mother and obeying them is required, any way of dishonoring them is explicitly or implicitly forbidden. The Shorter Catechism, question 65, says this, The fifth commandment forbids the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongs to everyone in our several places and relations. Um, And I'll say this as uh, just an aside. It seems to me that that, uh, people in our day, many of whom, even those who profess Christ, kind of seem to think nothing of dishonoring and speaking evil of the various authorities that God has placed over us. Whether it be parents or people in the government or you know, we, we're loose of tongue sometimes when it comes to these things and we don't treat them with the honor that God would have us to do. Um, that's true for sure in politics, in the civil realm. 
Um, and that's not really a new thing. I know we tend to think, oh, it's never been like this. It used to be worse than this in some ways. You know, politicians used to have duels. You know, so it isn't it isn't like that things were always civil. Um, but uh, it's also increasingly true, I think, when it comes to family matters. You know, how, how many of you have known uh, or heard professing believers who kind of blame all of their problems on their parents? I've heard it. You've heard it. Hopefully we haven't been guilty of saying things like that. It's like every problem we could possibly have, well, it's all my mom's fault. It's all my dad's fault. If they hadn't done X, Y, and Z or failed to do X, Y, and Z, I wouldn't be the mess that I am. And there may be some truth to that, but we are still to honor them uh, and, and show mercy toward them in these, these things. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism, question 104, on this commandment, uh, it says something where it anticipates the most common objection, I think, to godly submission, and that it tells us that we, quote, must also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. We, we are to be, I'll read that again, patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities. Which if, you know, if you're in the, if the shoe's on the other foot and you're now a parent, a grandparent, a supervisor, a boss, a political, you know, someone in office, you realize how hard that job is now. When you were a kid, you probably thought, oh, my parents have it, have it easy. I was a model kid or whatever and life was just, all they had to do was, you know, the bare minimum, and now when you become a parent, you realize how hard it really was, right? Well, we should show honor to them uh, as, as we are able to do so. We are to bear with the weaknesses and infirmities of the authorities God has placed over us in his wisdom that includes parents, husbands, police officers, officers in the church, civil authorities, and others. Um, that Why? It pleases God to govern us by their hand, the catechism says. Um, ask yourself this. How do you think and speak of earthly authorities whom God has placed over you? If you think about your, your own, not somebody else's, think about your own speech. Um, how do you disagree with them? How do you word it when you disagree or even criticize them, depending on the way that it's done? Uh, criticizing them might be necessary, but how do you go about doing it? You know, that's the, what's the old saying? There's a right way and a wrong way. There's a right way to do things. Um, but, you know, when you do that, do you show them the respect and honor, at least of their office, that is due to them for the sake of what God has placed them in that office? There's a book by Kevin DeYoung. It's really a commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism. I highly recommend it. Uh, but because of that, it goes through the commandments. So it's helpful. It's called The Good News We Almost Forgot. Kevin DeYoung, he writes this. I doubt many of us regular, regularly feel convicted by the fifth commandment, but we probably should. How are we really doing? Do we joyfully submit to parents, husbands, and the rule of law? Are we patient with pastors and senators and middle managers? Do we give glad respect to denominational executives? So even includes pastors here, right? Committee chairpersons and department heads, do we take care of our aging parents without grumbling and complaining? Do we ever consider their feelings and desires above our own when making plans for the holidays? And then he adds, adds one last line, would we be happy if our young children treated us like we now grown treat our parents? In other words, however we're treating our parents, when we're in their place, would we like to be treated the same way that we're treating our parents? I, I hope. I hope that we can all say yes to that. Well, last but not least, uh, the Lord promises us in, in the text a promise of blessing, doesn't he? Attached to obedience to this commandment, and just as the commandment itself applies to us, from our youngest days, so also that promise of blessing. God, I mean, think about that. God doesn't just address children 
with a commandment. He even gives them a promise of blessing and gives us, starting at childhood, a promise of blessing for obedience to this command, even imperfect for sure, as it is our obedience may be. Exodus 20:12 says, "Honor your father, excuse me, honor your father and your mother, why? That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you." Watson again says this, uh, "And that you may see how well it pleases God, he bestows a reward upon it." Like God wants us to see how much he this this would please him. Because he, he actually adds, God doesn't have to add a promise of reward for anything. Like, at the end of the day, God, if, if we were, you know, the kind of people that would ask God why, like we ask our parents, why, you know, God could really just say, because I said so. Now, you might not like that coming from a parent, but that really is proper for God to say, because he's God, because I said so. But God doesn't just say, because I said so. He says here, that you're, in order that your days may be prolonged, in the land that God is giving you. He, he promises long life and prosperity in some ways within limits for obeying our parents and other earthly authorities. Remember that passage in Ephesians 6 I mentioned earlier where Paul says, children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. He quotes the commandment and he says the following. He also cites the promise of blessing, doesn't he? So it still applies. He says this, Ephesians 6, 2 and 3, this is the first commandment with a promise. And what's that promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So Paul doesn't just teach that the commandment itself still applies. He teaches that the promise of blessing for obeying it also still applies today. God graciously gives us promises of blessing in order to encourage us in our efforts toward obedience. Like any good parent would do, we try to motivate our kids with good. And God does that in a greater way, even with this commandment. Uh, question 66 says that God gives us a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it should serve for God's glory and for our own good. It doesn't mean like the prosperity preachers would say. You know, you're going to be rich beyond your wildest dreams and all this stuff, because that probably wouldn't be for our good, would it? I know we'd all love to think, well, if I had billions of dollars, I'm sure that would be for my good, right? Well, it probably wouldn't be. You know, God, God doesn't give us, you know, I guess you could say more than we can handle, but in some ways when it comes to our prosperity, I think that's true. God, God knows how much we can actually handle and how much we can't. And while we may differ with that opinion, we may say, well, I think I can handle more. God, you know, lay it on me. Um, I think God in his wisdom gives us what we can handle and we should be grateful for it. Uh, the Confession of Faith in its chapter on the law of God speaks of the usefulness of God's law for believers. And it also speaks of the blessings that God gives us uh, for our obedience as imperfect as it is to his commandments. It's uh, Confession of Faith 19.6 and it's a, it's a paragraph, but I hope you'll find it edifying anyway. Uh, it says the promises of it, the promises of God's law, the promises of it in like manner show them, that show us, God's I'm going to change the word to approval, approbation. Nobody says that. It shows us God's approval of obedience, that God, God is pleased by it, basically. So it shows us that God's pleased by obedience and what blessings we may expect upon the performance of it, although not as due to us by the, by the law as a covenant of works. Uh, and then it says, so as a man's doing good and refraining from evil because the law encourages to the one and deters from the other is no evidence of his being under law and not under grace. 
um, you know, very often there is an antinomian strain, there always has been in the church, uh, in the churches throughout the world, throughout history. And one of the things, and we hear it in our day as much as anybody else has ever heard, when you start talking about obeying God's commandments as a Christian, very often people will, will act like you're, you're being legalistic. And you're not, you're not being gracious. If you're, if you're under grace, you wouldn't have to worry about God's law. And so what does the confession, what do the writers of the confession say? That the fact that God's law, that you look at God's law and say, I shouldn't do this because God's law says this, or I should do this because God's law tells me to, is no evidence of your being under the law and not under grace. In fact, it's an evidence of God's grace in your life when we seek to obey God's commandments. But even there in that, that confession, it says that God promises us many blessings for our sincere but imperfect obedience. Uh, and I think that's something that should be encouraging uh, for us. God, God knows what's best for us. He commands us uh, to walk in his ways accordingly, and he even gives us blessings along the way in order to help us and encourage us when that way seems to prove to be somewhat difficult at times. God is good, and even his commandments are good, and they're for our good always. God does not command things, whether his prohibitions or his commands positively. They're all for our good, and they're all meant to, meant to be for his glory. Now, you, we may not give the fifth commandment or any of God's commandments much thought. I, think that's, I hope that's not the case, but we should. We should think about God's law. We should delight. We sang it this morning. Your law, O God, is our delight. That's right from Psalm 119. Oh, Lord, how I love your law. Right? That's, that, that should be the Christian's approach to God's law is to love it because it's, it's from our Lord and Savior. It's from our Heavenly Father. Um, if we were to give thought to the commandments, especially the fifth in this particular case, uh, I think no doubt most of us, if we're honest, would find plenty of, of need and material for confession, repentance, and improvement. Uh, may God work in us what's pleasing in his sight that by his grace and the work of his Holy Spirit that we might more and more repent of the things we need to repent of in this regard and, uh, and walk in newness of life to the glory of the name of Christ. Let's, let's pray.